look, I, I don't believe in must-win games. Look, man, this is college football. Aren't they all must-wins? But that being said, if Stanford wants to do all the things it really wants to do this season and achieve a lot of the things that are still within reach for this team, despite the loss of UCLA, beating Oregon, it's a must. And that's what we're discussing on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. On the Believe Podcast Network, great to be with you Thursday, September 30th, 2021. Hope your week has been a good one and hope that you are getting ready for another big football day on the farm this upcoming Saturday when the Stanford Cardinal host the number three Oregon Ducks. Always big whenever those two teams meet. And we're going to have help in breaking down this game. You're going to hear from Stanford head coach David Shaw. You're going to hear from Stanford tight end and defensive end Tucker Fisk, as well as Stanford linebacker Lavani Damuni. We also have a couple of special guests that I'm psyched to have on this week's show. Stanford nose tackle Dalen Wade Perry. We're going to go inside the trenches and get you up to speed on, on how things have been going in that department for the Cardinal. And Dalen's also going to tell us how, how critical his position is to uh, keeping the Ducks in check with that running game and all the things and all the dangers that the, that the, the Ducks pose from that standpoint. So looking forward to chatting with uh, Dalen Wade Perry. And also looking forward to catching up with one of my favorite guys to chat and catch up with on the show. One of the greatest safeties in the history of Stanford football, my man Tank Williams. Former Stanford uh, safety back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, was an All-American in the 2001 season. And uh, had a pretty decent career in the NFL, played for a few years, mostly with the Tennessee Titans. But he's also up to some pretty great things now in his post-playing career. Looking forward to talking about that with him and also getting his thoughts on safety play for Stanford and in college football. So we have a lot to get to on this episode of the show. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, Troy Clarity is the name. Play-by-play announcing is my game in my eighth year of following of uh, doing play-by-play for the Pac-12 Network. Busy week for me. <laughs> I got women's soccer tonight, volleyball Friday, of course, at Stanford football on Saturday, and back to volleyball on Sunday. So plenty of uh, Pac-12 Network action for me on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday coming up. I can't wait. Love That's why I love this time of year, and this is also my 29th year of following Stanford football. Hit me up with a follow at Troy Clarity is the way to go at Troy Clarity, last time is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. And as always, I got to remind you, subscribe to the show via your favorite listening app. That way, whenever these things post, they'll come at you twice a week, generally on Thursdays and Sundays. Might change that up a little bit this weekend, but generally on Thursdays and Sundays, always twice a week during the regular season. So whenever these post, all you got to do is go to your favorite listening app and boom, hit play and you're off and running with the latest TreeCast. So subscribe, rate, and review the show. And also, give the show some love on your friendly neighborhood message board. React to it. Tell people that you know all about the show. And uh, we certainly appreciate and uh, love what we've uh, the feedback we've received on the program. And uh, certainly appreciative of the, uh, of, of the growth the show has certainly enjoyed once we've gotten back into regular season mode. So subscribe, rate, review, react. And enjoy. We'll give you three things you need to know about Stanford versus Oregon, plus a bonus thing, too. But first, 
This reminder, it's October almost, and all eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one sport for all, number one spot rather, for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your bonus. Football, basketball, Boxing, your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Where the tree cast usually starts is with three things you need to know. And this time around, we're going to focus on the Stanford Oregon matchup for this Saturday. And we'll begin with number one. <laughs> And Stanford played the UCLA game, as you might remember, without the majority of its running back room. EJ Smith out with an injury that he suffered late in the game against Vanderbilt in week three. And Austin Jones and Casey Filkins, unavailable. Jones and Filkins could be back for this week for Oregon, but that has not been decided yet, at least as I say this. After Wednesday's practice, David Shaw told the media that he should know about Jones and Filkins' availability for the Ducks on Thursday, it's Wednesday night, as, as I'm saying this right here and now. Now, in the meantime, the offensive coaches for Stanford still have to install and practice a game plan, right? How are they doing it without knowing if two of their running backs and their, their featured running back in particular are going to be good to go? Shaw explains. We don't want to count on them being there, um, but we're prepared for them to be extra if they are there. Uh, we're prepared again for... Uh, Nathaniel Pete to carry the load as much as necessary. Uh, we'd love to see by the end of the week that we can use a couple of those guys to take some plays off of him without putting those guys in a position either to go out there and play in a big time game against a great, a great team and not be physically prepared. So there is that balance to make sure those guys are ready to go. And then what are they prepared for? You know, are they prepared for maybe a limited role? Okay, great. That takes some pressure off of, of Nate Pete, but as of right now, we're just we're, we're counting on leaning on Nate Pete heavily, unless we get some some better news later in the week. That's David Shaw, and I suspect that this might be a thing where if Austin Jones, in particular, and, and Casey Filkins do get the clearance they need to be able to be back and ready to go uh, for Saturday against Oregon, even if we do see it. We might not necessarily see a whole lot of them, so it would not surprise me that if the Stanford backfield was still quite Pete heavy, like it was last week against UCLA when uh, Nate Pete uh, took all the snaps at running back for the Cardinals. Let's move on to number two. And you probably weren't too thrilled about the final result last Saturday against the Bruins. I, I know the team wasn't. Thomas, Thomas Booker was asked about it in the postgame, and he said it pretty bluntly. We hate losing. Given that, I asked tight end defensive end Tucker Fisk what the mood of the team has been this week. I would say um, driven is probably a good word for it. Um, I think, you know, the loss uh, on Saturday really hit hard for a lot of guys on the team. And uh, I think we all know that we are better than what we put on tape and we can be a lot better as a team. Um, so I think, you know, we're just motivated to um, and excited to show what we can do against a top-rated team like we're going to speak. That's Tucker Fisk, and uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the team's driven to try to reverse the results and reverse the outcome. Uh, saw some good things. We saw them fight back from that 21-7 deficit and actually make it a ball game. 
but unfortunately couldn't hold up against the Bruins. But Stanford, according to Tucker Fisk, driven to get things right this week against the Oregon Ducks. And Stanford inside linebacker Lavani Damuni knows that this week brings a big opportunity. We know they're a great team, uh, number three in the country. So, And they're also our first uh, Pac-12 North opponent we've seen so far this year. So uh, definitely, we know it's a big game. It's a great opportunity for us to uh, really execute and just show what we're all about. Yeah, first game against a North opponent for the Cardinal this year. And this, look, as stinging as last week's loss was, pretty much all of Stanford's goals are still within reach, right? Many of those goals hinge on winning the North. None of those things are as likely to happen if Stanford doesn't beat Oregon. Let's finish up three things with number three. <laughs> And the Oregon Ducks' best player is their edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau. Ooh, that dude is nasty. All-American, all-Pac-12, and already on top of Mel Kuyper's board for the 2022 NFL Draft. Now, he's only played two games this year. He sprained his ankle in the opener against Fresno State, missed a couple of games, including that, that, that boffo win in Columbus against the Buckeyes in Ohio State. But he came back last week against Arizona, played about eight or nine snaps as the Ducks uh, beat the Wildcats 41-19 in a game that, in a lot of ways, was a lot closer than the final score might indicate. Well, on Monday, Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal says that he expects Kayvon Thibodeau to have a full green light against Stanford. Boy, that was music to my ears. Sarcasm alert. Here's how David Shaw reacted to that news. We'll love for Mario to take better care of his players and maybe give him another week to get healthy make sure he's really healthy next week um but really it's just it's pretty straightforward with with Kayvon uh, it's a combination of all the things you're looking for in a defensive player um he's got size he's got length and he's got explosion um so his get off is very impressive um but he can run around you or he can go speed to power and walk you back to the quarterback um, he can chase you down from the backside. He's hard to reach on the front side. Um, so that's why he's one of the best players in America. Um, and uh, and he's really special. And, and it takes a, a big effort um, to, to, to handle a guy like that. Yeah, Stanford has been more consistent in pass blocking than in run blocking this year. That goes for the offensive line, and it certainly goes for the running backs. Uh, Austin Jones, who knows if we'll see him at this point, and Nathaniel Pete. Those two have been rock solid for the most part um, in pass protection. And, and after some mighty struggles early, the offensive line picked it up a bit in pass protection against UCLA and gave Tanner McKee time to make big throws and complete throws uh, for, for big yardage down the field. That being said... The offensive line still hasn't seen the likes of dudes like Tavon Thibodeau so far. And even if he still might not be 100% on Saturday against Stanford, it's still the biggest test for this offensive line yet. Those are three things. Some injury news of note, uh, tight end Ben Urasik, uh, safety Noah Williams, and quarterback Isaiah Sanders are all probable uh, for this game. Looks like uh, cornerback Zaron Manley uh, is going to be able to be back next week. So it looks like he's going to miss um, another week. And still no Ethan Bonner, uh, cornerback for the Cardinal, or running back EJ Smith. Those guys probably a week or maybe two away. Now, there were a couple of eyebrow raisers in Stanford's injury report 
uh, that we learned about on Tuesday morning during David Shaw's weekly Zoom. Inside linebacker Ricky Miazon, questionable. And right guard Branson Bragg is out for Oregon. Shaw doesn't seem to be think that that is going to be a long-term deal and that Bragg could be back uh, against Arizona State on the short week next week. But uh, Miazon, questionable, and Bragg out? Stanford is arguably now going to be missing, potentially missing, two of its nastiest guys on the field, on offense and on defense. Uh, talking to, to Michael Wilson and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and uh, Jonathan McGill uh, before the season, I asked him, who's the silent assassin on this team? Who's the guy that, that you really do not want to have to come across, the nastiest guy out there? And they, neither of them hesitated. Branson Bragg. And Ricky Miazon also has gotten some uh, some note uh, for his nasty style of play on the field. Not having those two guys potentially, Bragg definitely, Miazon maybe against the Oregon Ducks. That is not ideal. Not ideal. Are you ready for a stat that's going to blow your mind? Check this out. Since 2012. Oregon has been held to fewer than 60 plays from scrimmage in a regular season game five times. Just five times since the 2012 season. It happened last week, actually, when the Ducks only got 55 snaps against Arizona. The other four times, the other four teams to do it, Stanford in 2013, when the Ducks got 58 snaps. Stanford in 2015, when Oregon snapped it 48 times. Stanford in 2017, when Oregon ran 56 plays. And Stanford in 2019, in which the Ducks ran 54 plays. Notice a trend? Will it continue at Stanford in 2021? Pretty interesting set of numbers. After Wednesday's practice, I asked David Shaw what, what he makes of those sets of numbers. Well, it's part of part of how you win the game against these guys. Um, you let them hold the ball and run the ball and, and control the clock and score touchdowns, They can't you can't beat them. So for us, we've been successful keeping the ball away from them, um, minimizing their snaps, minimizing their time of possession, and then taking advantage of ours, being able to run the ball efficiently like we need to, and then being able to score points in the red zone. we, I mean, we got to score touchdowns against these guys because, you know, they're – they're dangerous. Oregon's had some close games. Ohio State was close. Fresno State was close. So they've been a bit having broken. Um, anything you can kind of glean from watching those games that you know, maybe see that Fresno State do well, Ohio State well, you guys can maybe do? Well, the biggest thing to, to glean from it is that Fresno State's a good football team. Mm -hmm. um, Ohio State's a really good football yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what it shows me is they can play not their best and still beat you. They have playmakers all over the place. The quarterback's a playmaker. They got multiple receivers that are playmakers. They got multiple runners that are playmakers. So even if they don't play great offensively, they can break three runs and still be up 21 nothing. Um, so it's really about us taking our next step, which we have to take, which is playing every single snap. You know, not playing great outside of five snaps, but playing great every single snap. Um, and hopefully we'll keep the score down and keep these guys off the field a little bit. Well, Arizona was doing it by five in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it took yeah. Long. I mean, Arizona played their best football. Yeah. Uh, Oregon, you'd say, wouldn't, didn't play their best football. But then there's a stretch of about five minutes right. where they broke the game open. And that's what happens when you have playmakers. And they don't get down. 
you know, you don't see arguing and complaining. They, they don't get down. They just keep plugging away, keep plugging away. And then, you know, it could be either one of the running backs, the quarterback with his legs, and their secondary who's been ball hawking all year. Um, it takes three plays for these guys to make to change a game. So for us, we got to be smart every single play. We've got to play hard every single play. Um, and give ourselves a chance to win. Yeah, there is that, and, and, and there is this. We mentioned Stanford in 2013, 2015, 2017, and 2019 against Oregon, holding the Ducks to under 60 snaps. Stanford still went 2-2 two and two in those respective games. Ducks were still able to find ways to win in 2015 and 2019, and even though they only snapped the ball 55 times last week, they still beat the Arizona Wildcats. Of course, when you turn the ball over and throw throw five interceptions in the game, pretty tough to win contests against anyone, much less uh, the Oregon Ducks in their own crib. But but I, I found that interesting, and certainly David Shaw is, is, is very well, very well aware of that, so... Uh, intriguing response um, to an intriguing exchange uh, for, for, for that respect uh, from David Shaw. And yep, no doubt ball control is going to be critical as it always is against the Oregon Ducks and Stanford has, has done better at it than pretty much anyone else has over the last eight plus years. Can they keep it going and will it result in the win? Two big questions for Stanford coming into this one against the Oregon Ducks. Well, one way to keep the Ducks off the field is to bottle up their rushing attack, which Stanford certainly did in a big-time way, especially in that 2019 game in which Oregon never really got loose. Look, you, you've watched Oregon, I'm pretty sure, over the last dozen years or so, and when they are at their best is when they are making big plays with their running backs. And they're certainly capable of doing that again this year. One guy who is going to be tasked with helping to put a stop to all that is Dalen Wade Perry, Stanford's nose tackle, a fifth-year senior out of Edgewood, New Jersey. What's on his plate this week against the Ducks? How is he feeling about things four games in? After Wednesday's practice, I caught up with Dalen Wade Perry on the practice field. It's always great to hang out there. And the first thing that I asked Dalen were, were his thoughts on the season so far, four games in and with two games up and two games down for the Cardinals. Overall, I feel like we got all the pieces, you know, to be a Pac-12 championship team. Um, we've shown it on tape. You know, at times, obviously, we haven't. Um, I'm just excited to see how we can continue to move forward and continue to grow and continue to build and, you know, make our dreams become a reality. Yeah, what have been some of the big themes? What's been the big mood so far from the team so far this week getting ready for Oregon? Mm-hmm. Um, kill all the hype, you know, because obviously that's a big factor in this game. Um, nationally ranked team, top five. Uh, but then again, for us, it doesn't matter who we play. When we step on the field, it's all about us. And when you stepped on the field last week, it was finally your field at home, 7,600 students, Stanford fans in the building as well. Was it kind of odd at first, maybe for a little bit, when you ran out of the tunnel and said, hey, wait a minute, this this is our tunnel. These are our people here. <laughs> no, nah, it was bittersweet. Um, coming back to our fans since uh, I feel like the last time we played against a team in our stadium with our fans was against Notre Dame in 2019. Um, despite that, we've been able to practice there plenty, walkthroughs. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was bittersweet. It was just lovely being home. I mean, too bad, obviously, we lost, but 
you know, you can't beat the library. You can't beat the library. <laughs> and another crack at it again this week against the Ducks. Uh, overall, how has the season been for you when you look at some of the highlights and some of the points of improvement for you personally? Uh, personally, for me, um, hasn't been great, you know. I feel like I have put some good things on tape here and there, but there's always room for improvement to get better. Um, there's always things to clean up afterwards. Uh, one thing that my OGs tell me, the tape is never as good as you think, but it's also never as bad as you think, you know? So I just try to play in the moment, go back, reflect, and come back better next week. What sort of lessons from UCLA do you think potentially can be applied to Oregon? In some senses, maybe some similarities, obviously some big differences between the two teams offensively, mm -hmm. but, but what sort of lessons potentially could have been learned uh, from UCLA that could possibly be applied this week? Uh, definitely... You know, the idea of playing four quarters, 60 minutes. Um, we started out slow against UCLA. Uh, we can't start out slow against this team, you know, because obviously we'll start from behind like we did last week um, and finishing strong, you know. We didn't finish strong, and we saw how the result came out. All right, take me inside the trenches. What's it like when, you, when you're in the center of it, you're in the middle of it all, and it's all revolving around you? What's it like when you are in the trenches and, and deep in it as you are, as you tend to be? It's gritty. It gets real gritty in the trenches. Um, you know, being so close to the ball at the nose, you never know where it's going to go. Uh, you just got to hunker down, play your keys, play fast, react. Don't be soft. Can't get punked down there, you know? And that's the mentality. Yeah, the, the, take me through the D-line room. Take me to the, to the other guys, you know, Thomas Booker, Ryan Johnson, who are the big characters in the room. Take, take me through the, 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 the defensive line that's currently comprised right now. Um, our D-line room is hilarious, to say the <laughs> least. You know, obviously we got Ryan, who's naturally born clown. He doesn't even, he doesn't even mean to be funny, but he's hilarious. Um, as far as young guys, they're full of enthusiasm, uh, full of character, full of charisma. Thomas, obviously, you know, another guy full of charisma, um, super outgoing, super smart. And, you know, the guy that keeps us all together, Dyron, you know, super laid back, uh, super chill. He keeps us all in line. And, you know, we gel. This is, since I've been here, probably the most we've gelled as a group. Yeah, and you're, you're a veteran. You know, it's your fifth year in the program. You've seen a lot. You've done a lot. You've been through a lot uh, with this program. Uh, when you look back at the, the past four-plus years, what sort of things stand out to you from your experience here on the farm so far? Uh... Just buying in, you know. Um, there were times where we weren't buying in in the past, and we saw the results. You know, we had a terrible four and seven season one year. Um, you know, and I feel like for me personally, every year it's been easier and easier to buy in, just growing with the staff, growing with the playbook, growing with Ryan and Booker, and it's just been easier for us to buy into the technique and really hunker down and do what we got to do. The Oregon Ducks. They run the ball. They run it very well. They've got a couple of uh, fantastic running backs, and they show a big-time commitment uh, to the running game. What does that mean from your perspective, and how important is your position in helping to try to stop and, and helping to try to shut down that running game? That's that's my position right there. You know, stopping the running game, slowing them down, uh, forcing third and long, second and long, forcing passing situations. So basically, just another day in the office. You know. Um, one of those days where I know like I'm going to have to be on it in order for us to be able to stop them and create those pass rush opportunities. All right, as we wrap this up, your overall keys, offense, defense, special teams, what's it going to take to get the job done against the Ducks? We're going to have to have all hands on deck. Um, you know, everyone who steps on the field for us is going to have to make an impact. 
Uh, when coach gets the players out on both sides of the ball, we're all going to have to execute as a unit. And I feel like if we can do that, and if we can be the more physical team, we'll come out with a win. Looking forward to it. Stanford, Oregon is never dull. It's always a fun watch. I'm looking oh, yeah. forward to seeing how it turns out this Saturday. Dale, and thanks a bunch. Appreciate it. Enjoy watching you play. Enjoy the chat. Best of luck. Best of health. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate it. That's <laughs> Dale and Wade Perry. Appreciate uh, his time and his insight. And uh, pretty honest assessment there. Uh, as he seems unhappy with how some things have turned out uh, for his season uh, to this point. So uh, the honest assessment there from the fifth-year senior, the uh, the veteran, one of the veterans uh, certainly of this uh, defensive uh, unit. And look, there's no doubt his position is critical, critical. And his execution in his position is critical to Stanford's fortunes this week against the Oregon Ducks. Because when Stanford has been at its best, particularly against Oregon, when they've been able to slow down, I don't know if you can fully stop those guys, but at the very least, when they've, been, when they've been able to slow them down, they've been getting great play from the nose tackle, a guy who can just clog up the middle, make it very tough, if not impossible, for the Ducks to just cram it back up the middle and pop through to the other side and get big plays that way. Or to be disruptive, push their guy smack into the backfield, push the center into, into the backfield, and make it even difficult for, for guys to even get the handoff or make it make it more difficult for the quarterback to make a decision on what he wants to do with the ball. David Perry. Uh what a what a what a what a what a fire plug he was for the Cardinal a few years ago. And and when Stanford was arguably at its best against the Oregon Ducks, was when David Perry was helping to run the show and to anchor the defensive line. So that has been true. Look, or Oregon's gone through through Chip Kelly as head coach and offensive coordinator before that, Mark Helfrich, and now Mario Cristobal. Joe Moorhead is now the offensive coordinator, and he was lights out against the Ohio State Buckeyes in his play calling. Those crackback runs that he kept calling against the Buckeyes, man, those were things of beauty. But it's still the same. If you can control the middle against the Oregon Ducks, chances are pretty good that you're going to get the upper hand. And I'm not exactly sure if Anthony Brown, the Ducks quarterback, can necessarily beat you by throwing the ball. So Stanford would be very, very well served by clogging up that middle, making it as difficult as possible for Oregon to run the ball. Really cool thing that Stanford football is doing this Saturday afternoon's game. 12.30 kickoff, by the way. I'd forgotten what those were like. <laughs> 12.30 kickoff? I ain't mad at that. On ABC, by the way, with two Stanford guys on the call, Dave Fleming and Rod Gilmore, two of my guys in the TV booth. And, of course, Scott Reese, my man, and John Platts on the radio side. But Stanford is honoring the 1970 and the 1971 football teams. Uh, this uh, Oregon contest. They'll be doing it with the ceremony, honoring the guys. I'm sure a bunch of them will, will be in the building for it. And also Stanford football wearing some throwbacks to that era for Saturday's game against the Oregon Ducks. So I guess that means, ooh, that might mean larger numbers for Stanford. Look, Stanford's got some pretty nice numbers for me. Look, 
Jersey numbers for me, if, if you've got nice big numbers that I can see, I'm fine from the press box. I'm cool. I can make it. It makes it very easy for me to identify folks. And those certainly, I, I think those numbers at the Stanford War back in the 70s uh, were larger than they were, uh, than, they, than they are now. Uh, the S was a lot smaller, though, on the helmets, I can tell you that. But a really cool thing that Stanford football is doing, and, and, and after Wednesday's practice, uh, I asked David Shaw what those guys, those 1970 and 1971 teams still mean to this program 50 years later. It's so cool, right? I mean, back-to-back Rose Bowls and a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, and what's been cool for me is I got here with, with Harbaugh in 2007 and got to know a big chunk of those guys. They're around. They still love each other. They still get together. They still hang out. Um, and they still will talk to anybody about, the, about that time, right? Because the thing that people don't know is the context, right? Everybody is telling Jim Plunkett to leave. He's like, no, I don't want to leave. I want to come back. I want to beat SC. I want to go to the Rose Bowl, right? I want to finish with my teammates. And so that unselfishness by the best player in America to say, yeah, I could be a first-round draft pick, but my heart is here with my teammates at Stanford. When you see those guys, you understand that, right? After all these years, they're still tight. They are absolutely hilarious, uh, especially when they're together. Um, and you see the camaraderie of what it takes to win uh, uh, conference championships. Yeah, really good stuff from uh, from David Shaw on those 1970 and 1971 football teams for Stanford. The Thunder Chickens will live forever. <laughs> As will Jim Plunkett. I wonder what Dave Tipton's up to these days. He was a defensive line coach for Stanford for uh, for quite a while, especially uh, back in the 90s. I wonder what, uh, uh, what, what he's up to uh, these days. And it was really cool uh, when I got to uh, MC the uh, Stanford football season ticket members dinner uh, back in mid-August, and the, and the guest of honor was Jim Plunkett. And look, Jim Plunkett is Mr. Stanford. I, I don't think there's really much question about that. Um, that guy has has stayed super close um, to the athletic department throughout the years, um, and it's 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 been you know that guy walks around campus and he's the man. <laughs> he's hanging out in Chuck Taylor Grove tailgating before the games, and he is the man. But Plunkett looks upon those days quite fondly. I talked about him with it at the uh, season ticket members dinner. It was really awesome. He he still hates USC. <laughs> it was really cool to talk with him uh, about those uh, about those things as well, and uh, boy, those are some great teams, some great teams, and and I'm sure that the I'm sure that the the 1970 team and certainly Jim Plunkett in particular um, would have been honored um, in in a bit more of a demonstrative fashion last year if well, you know, they were able to. But glad to see Stanford football honoring the 1970 and the 1971 football teams, teams that won Rose Bowls, and a team that produced a Heisman Trophy winner. Pretty cool stuff all the way around. Well, Stanford honoring those teams of 1970 and 1971 this Saturday. I'm not going to quite take it back that far with our second special guest on the TreeCast this week. We'll go back 20 years or so. How about that? That 2001 team, uh, still one of my favorites uh, in, in following Stanford football. So much fun to watch offensively and defensively. And uh, for a time, was probably the best Stanford football team of my lifetime. And one of the key members 
of that squad is our second special guest here on the TreeCast. A first-team All-Pac-10 player for the Cardinal in 2001, was also an All-American, second-round draft pick by the Tennessee Titans in 2002, played for Tennessee from 02 to 05, and also played for the Minnesota Vikings in 2007. And the true Renaissance man as well. He's doing some really cool stuff in real estate development and as a fantasy football guru. And it's always great to work with him as well on Stanford Football Pro Day broadcast as well. It's been too long, but he's here. Great to catch up with my man, Tank Williams. Tank, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for the intro and uh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it has been uh, way too long. So uh, good to be <laughs> back and good to see Stanford football in Stanford Stadium. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a novel concept, right? Last week, Stanford taking the field in its own field with fans in the stands and wearing the red uniforms for a change mm -hmm. uh, instead of the white ones. Uh, Cardinal coming into this week against the Oregon Ducks at 2-2 two and two on the season overall. We've seen Stanford look quite good at times. We've seen Stanford look quite lackluster at times, sometimes within the same game. What do you make of what we've seen with the Stanford football squad so far four games in? Uh, like you said, I mean, a little bit of everything. Uh, I think I was impressed with what I saw against uh, Vanderbilt. So a couple of weeks ago, I mean, they were able to establish the run game. Tanner McKee had some rhythm in the past game, and basically he was able to establish that off the run. They were able to get some nice throws in the intermediate uh, range with the pass game. And the defense played well. The defense was able to kind of stiffen up against the run after they let up some big runs early on and make some plays down the stretch in order to win the game. And so then when you see them come out last week against a UCLA team that you knew was going to be fired up after losing to Fresno State and all the hype they had going into that game. And so we knew they were going to come in ready to play. And, you know, to start off the game with a bunch of three and outs and then letting UCLA get up, I mean, that's one of those games, especially when you're playing in a conference game where you want to come in with a lot of energy, a lot of momentum. You're playing at home in front of your home fans. Get a little bit of energy going. Get that team down and out. You know they're already teetering a little bit, but when you give them that little bit of confidence, it made it that much tougher for us to put them away. I mean, we put up a good fight in order to come back. But then we just didn't have enough uh, at the end. We gave up too many big plays down the stretch and just didn't make enough. But uh, I think all that being said, it seems like this is a team still trying to find their way. And this is the perfect team to try to find your way against. I mean, Oregon looked really good against Ohio State early here in the year. And if you can pull off an upset like we did 20 years ago, <laughs> you can get yourself on, uh, on a serious path to doing some damage here the rest of the season. Yeah, and Oregon, if you're basing things on how they played against Arizona last week in which the Wildcats were within five in the fourth quarter before the Ducks got some separation and the Wildcats eventually turned it over too many times for them to overcome. If Oregon plays like they did last week, they can certainly be had by a Stanford squad that can certainly play a lot better, it seems, than they did against UCLA and against Vanderbilt and against USC and against Kansas State. Point being, I don't think we've seen the Stanford team at its 100% best to this point. Now, defensively, you, you hinted at it here a little bit. Uh, it's been up and down. There have been some great moments defensively for Stanford. Against the run, tough sledding. Oregon, a squad that can certainly run the ball and do great things on the ground as well. And you are, are, are one of the great safeties that Stanford has, has, has ever produced over the years. When you're watching the safeties, when you're keeping an eye on what they're doing, what, should, what sort of things are you watching for? What sort of things should we be watching for and checking out when we're trying to evaluate uh, how the safeties are doing? 
I mean, I think when you're trying to evaluate safeties and then just the run defense as a whole, you're just trying to make sure that every position is fundamentally sound. Because sometimes when you're allowing big plays, you find some guys trying to overcompensate, some people trying to do too much. And run fits are so much about each person doing their job. If you're a defensive tackle and you're supposed to have the A gap, make sure that you're in the A gap and then that may give the linebacker a clean scrape over the top to hit the running back in the hole. Or for example, if you're a safety that needs to roll down into a run fit and you may be showing a cover two shell. So you making the defense think that you're in cover two. And then at the snap you roll down and you're supposed to have the edge to make sure they can't bounce and run outside make sure you're able to hold that edge. And so I feel like there are a lot of times where you may find somebody trying to disguise and you may be a little bit out of a place or at the same time, you may see a team hitting a certain run too many times. And so someone, instead of trying to do their job on a specific play, they may try to undercut the guard that may be pulling or try to shoot a gap when you're supposed to go over the top and then allow a big play. So I think part of it is just trying to do too much. Just make sure you play within the defense. And then I think if you can play fundamentally that sound, that way all 11 guys doing the same thing, you'll start to have some success. Then folks will settle down and you'll be able to play some sound defense. Yeah, it, it truly takes a team effort, especially when you're facing squads like UCLA and squads like Oregon and squads like Arizona State, whom Stanford's going to have to face um, next week. And, and there's no doubt about it. College offenses have changed, it seems, a lot over the past 20 years or so. Schemes, concepts, all those sorts of things. How has defensive back play had to evolve in your mind as college offenses have, have, have kind of shifted up and kind of, you know, kind of changed what uh, a lot of the things that, that, you, that you tend to see offensively on the collegiate level these days? I mean, the key to the game these days is being able to play in space. I mean, you'll see a lot of times the college offenses have spread you out there, put a lot of wide receivers wide and try to make sure you get thin in the box. And if that's the case, then they're going to try to run it down your throat. And if you try to put your coverage out to make sure that you can take away an explosive wide receiver they may have outside, uh, well, say, for example, then if you try to take away a wide receiver outside, they're running up the middle. And then if you have an explosive back and they try to stack the box and you keep it light outside, they may throw a crack screen or take advantage of one-on-one -on -one that they like on the outside. And I think one of the advantages that Stanford has had uh, in more recent years is that while everyone has been transitioning to the spread game, we were one of the few teams that were still willing to line up in three tight end sets, went healthy and run the ball down your throat. Well, I would say went healthy and then when you have the uh, personnel uh, to do it. And so I think that was one of those things too, where you're able to throw a team off because one, they don't see that every week. A lot of times they prepare for these spread offenses. So if you can line up in like, you know, three tight end personnel, run the ball down their throat and then throw up a change up and then you come out in empty sets and then spread around and throw off. I mean, that's tough for a defense to defend because they really don't know what's coming at them. I mean, but I, I think that the more that we can differentiate on offense, the more chunk plays that we can get, the more creative we can get. And then at the same time, I feel like in, in the game these days, you have to be aggressive too. Like there are times when you can't play it safe. Sometimes you have to go for it on fourth downs. You know, sometimes instead of going for that long field goal, you have to try to, you know, get in, you know, you know, have to try to put it in zone, just basing it off of where you are in the game with the It's all about situational football. You hear Bill Belichick and all these coaches talk about it all the time. And I can't stress it enough that you can't really go into a game 
thinking that one situation will be played the same way every time. You have to go based on the personnel that's out there, based on the situation in the game, based on the situation of where you are with the standards, where you are in the conference and everything else. And so I feel like the more people can think from a macro level and act that way, the better off we'll be as a team. And then also just in, that's how most teams need to operate if they want to be successful. Yeah, con context is, is is so critical. David Shaw has said that the last couple of weeks uh, as, as far as uh, his play calling duties are concerned, he takes a look at context yeah. uh, more often than not uh, when he's considering when he's going to, when he's trying to do things. Um, 20 years in Eugene, that game, I can't believe it's been 20 years. Yeah, uh, Stanford, go <laughs> yeah, Stanford <laughs> going up to Autzen Stadium. Uh, the Ducks are dudes like Joey Harrington. Uh, Autzen Stadium was off the hook that day. But Stanford had a little something for the Ducks as they were able to get that 49-42 win over Oregon that day. You had a critical, critical turnover with just a few minutes left in the game to lead to Stanford's uh, winning touchdown. Take me through that that game as you that, as, as you remember it. I mean, that was uh, an amazing game. I mean, to be able to go up there and knock off Oregon. I believe they had the longest win streak at home in college football at the time. It was a 45 game winning streak at home. And, you know, we went in there in a hostile environment. They were either number three, number five in the country, something like that. And I mean, you walk into the stadium and like, besides like a little bit of family that was there, it was just all Oregon fans and that stadium gets loud and they're hounding you the entire game. But it's one of those things where we came out in a hostile environment, but we came out fast. And then we're able to kind of compete with them. And if you put a little bit of doubt into a team's mind, in the back of their mind, that goes a long way. And so when you're battling with them and they're used to kind of putting teams away early on, they're like, hold up, these guys may be about something. And so then you kind of get into the game. We're able to execute. I believe we got an onside kick. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about my interception late in the game, it's one of those things where preparation meets opportunity. I mean, I was lined up on one of their uh, premier tight ends, Justin Peel, who ended up playing ball in the league and ended up being a coach. And I knew they loved to run um, the post route from that tight end on the backside. And so he ran the route and I just undercut the route and then I picked it off. So we were able to do that. And then, I mean, that was also a game too. I believe Randy Fasani goes down, he gets yep. injured. Chris Lewis comes in yep. and, you know, throws a great pass to Teo in the back of the end zone. And so there are so many things that worked against us. But then at the same time, we always had this mantra. I believe we wore shirts that year that said one team, one goal, one bowl. And so we had that mantra that we were going to go in as a team and do whatever it takes to win the game. And when all those things came together perfectly for us and we were able to pull out a tremendous victory. I mean, that was that was one of the best teams that I played on, I would say, from a talent standpoint. But at the same time, I mean, we were a brotherhood, too. I mean, we worked hard that offseason with the mindset that we were going to go out there and put forth, you know, some good stuff on tape on the field each and every week. And when all that hard work and determination comes to fruition on a weekly basis throughout the season, it's a beautiful thing. And so that was a special season for us, a special game. And I hope that the guys this week playing at home against a tough Oregon team can have a similar experience to kind of get their season back on track. Yeah, channeling 2001 here in 2021 and yourself, Coy Wire defensively helping to lead the way. Uh, the offensive line up front, the horses in the backfield. You mentioned Randy Fasani and, and Teo Johnson just absolutely blew up that year. A breakout uh, season for him. So much fun to watch that year. Didn't end the way you guys wanted it to. That 2001 team deserved better, didn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, <laughs> one of the things we talk about, we laugh about is that uh, one, we deserve better. I mean, I feel that we were one of the better teams in the country that year. I mean, one thing that may go unnoticed, I mean, the week before that, I believe we knocked off UCLA at home right. and UCLA, they were number five in the country at that right. time. And then we lost a tough game to uh, Washington State, maybe the following week, and they ended up being highly ranked that year, too. And so um, it was tough to have a season like that where you felt that you're one of the better teams in the country. And then at the same time, uh, the bowl, at least <laughs> we would have loved to go to like a BCS type bowl. But then instead of the bowl game still being Hawaii, it got switched to Seattle. And so that was like the ultimate <laughs> bowl where we don't go to a good bowl game. And then the game that used to be in Hawaii is in Seattle now. And so it was a total drain. We played Georgia Tech. Really didn't show up that game. I mean, but all that being said, at least the regular season, I felt like we played some really great ball. The games that we lost, they were tough games, the tough teams, but we had the resolve to always bounce back and not let one game, one play define us. And I think that was a testament to the coaches and a testament to the guys that were on that team. Yeah, great, great team. Great team overall. Certainly one of the greatest uh, teams uh, Stanford has fielded uh, over the past 50 years or so. Uh, as mentioned, you went on to the NFL, Tennessee, Minnesota. You was uh, the bulk of your playing experience uh, with those two squads. But but since then, you've been in all kinds of stuff: uh, Pro West Invest, uh, a residential real estate company, and also you're a fantasy football guru for Yahoo. You've been doing that uh, for quite some time now, and I've enjoyed looking at a lot of your stuff. Uh, how did your Stanford experience? prepare you for all of the things that you've been able to get into after you hung up your hung up your cleats for the final time? Uh, I believe uh, my Stanford experience, uh, I would say a combination of the hard work that we put on the field playing football and then also uh, the competitive the competitiveness that I saw in people in the classroom just gave me the mindset that, you know, I can achieve and do everything I wanted to. I mean, there are guys and girls that I went to school with that ended up, you know, leaving Stanford, uh, becoming like, uh, you know, CEOs of their founders of their own companies or higher ups and a lot of tech companies around here and doing a lot of things or whether it's like, you know, becoming teachers and things like that back in their local communities and trying to spread the knowledge and stuff that they learned at Stanford. And so uh, just, you know, going into my craft with that same mindset that I just wasn't going to find myself as just being a football player and that's it. And so, you know, I worked in the commercial real estate uh, sphere for a little bit, ended up forming my own residential development company. I did that for a while. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of gravitated back towards my passion, which was football. I mean, it was one of those things where I never knew if I really truly wanted to be a coach because they had to move around so much, you know, before they can really set roots. Uh, so the sports analyst route allowed me to talk about the game that I loved uh, while staying in one place. And so I've enjoyed that. And it just kind of uh, grew from being a college football uh, NFL analyst uh, to being a fantasy analyst. And really it was my Stanford teammates that wrote me into it. I didn't know anything about fantasy football when I played huh. in the NFL. And I didn't really put it together until after the fact, my boys were like, do you want to play in our fantasy league? I'm like, sure. And then I was like, so that's why guys used to like hit me up like back in the day, like, yo, so how do you think y'all going to perform against this team? And like, what does that guy look like? And so I was able to put all 
stuff together. So it, it kind of uh, gave me a chuckle after the fact because I learned my buddies are trying to get some little inside information for their fantasy squads back in the day. But I mean, now that's just one of the things I love doing most on Sundays is just watching the game and then just kind of checking the phone to see how the fantasy guys are doing, trying to see how the Stanford guys are doing on TV. I mean, I think fantasy along with sports betting, I mean, those are two of the, you know, uh, I mean, I would say two of the sectors that are growing the most when you look at sports as a whole. And so uh, just trying to kind of carve out a niche in that sphere. Um, and I think it's one of the more entertaining parts of the game too, because at one point you would have like a game against Cleveland and um, say Cleveland and Cincinnati when both of those teams weren't good. I mean, that's how far you go in 20 years. Now I see both of those teams are pretty good this year. Uh, but you have a game like that and, you know, most fans wouldn't be interested unless you were like diehard Bengals or Browns fans. But nowadays, every game is important because of the fantasy aspect, because of the betting aspect. And I believe that's why all these leagues, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB are gravitating towards the fantasy and sports betting aspect of it. And so, you know, it's been a lot of fun. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to play the fantasy aspect of it. I'm not much of a better, but, um, you know, it's just one of those things I enjoy doing on Sundays, uh, you know, getting on online and talking about the game and being able to talk a little noise to my boys and my fantasy teams performing the way it should. <laughs> and what, what's the point if you can't talk noise to your boys after the, after the fact, right. come on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Stanford Cardinal hope to be talking a lot of noise this Saturday against those Oregon ducks ranked number three in the country, but there've been a few times where Stanford and Oregon have met and the ducks have been highly ranked and they've walked out of the stadium with an L over their heads. Can 2021 be one of those times? We'll all find out together, and I know Tank Williams is going to be keeping a close eye on things, as always. Tank, always appreciate the time. Thanks a bunch. Best of luck. Best of health. Big fan of what you've been doing. Keep it rolling, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff from uh, Tank Williams. Appreciate him uh, taking the time. And I remember uh, doing a uh, pro day, a Stanford football pro day show with him a few years ago. And uh, they put together a montage of uh, some of his biggest hits in a Stanford uniform that he put on back in his days with the Cardinal. And pretty much all of them would have been flagged today. <laughs> Dude brought it. Dude brought it. Both him and Coy Wire. Uh, really anchored that uh, that that 2001 team and uh, and yeah, look, it's been it's been more than a few occasions in which Stanford has gone up against a highly regarded, highly ranked Oregon squad and come away victorious. Right? I go back to 1995. You know, the Oregon Ducks were were defending Pac-10 champions. They just come off a Rose Bowl. Stanford had a brand new head coach in Tyrone Willingham that no one knew who he was. And the next thing you knew, Stanford was walking out of there, out of Austin Stadium with the win. 2009, where Oregon came down to, to Stanford Stadium, and that was really the beginning of, of Toby Gerhardt's big run through that month of November. Cardinal beat the Ducks that day. Uh, 2018, that's still improbable finish in overtime, even just to, just to get to overtime at Austin Stadium. Certainly improbable there. 2018's in that mix. But certainly that 2001 result with Stanford down 42-28 at the start of the fourth quarter. They gave up, gave up a 96-yard kick return and an 81-yard punt return. 
But then special teams turned around by blocking two punts and recovering an onside kick in the fourth quarter. Kerry Carter scoring with six minutes left, but they missed the extra point. So that left Stanford down 42-41. And that set the stage for Tank Williams' interception on third down and two. And I remember talking to Jeff Tedford uh, about this the next year. Tedford accepted the head coaching job at Cal the following season. He was the offensive coordinator at Oregon that day against Stanford. And he said, look, I got a, I got a bad spot. Someone told me it was it was third and, and closer to third and three. If it was third and two, I would have run the ball. But I thought it was third and three, so I threw the ball. Well, his mistake and his misjudgment was Hank Williams' fortune. Kerry Carter scoring four touchdowns, including the game winner with 110 to go. And Stanford winning 49-42. And uh, poor Ted Robinson was speechless by the end of that game. He actually ended up losing his voice uh, and, and could not uh, complete the post game. But uh, that was a great game. That 2001 result, uh, one of my favorite games in Stanford football history, or at least for my, my being around for Stanford football history anyway. Will Stanford, Oregon 2021 be in that mix? Boy, I hope so. I really hope so. Um, I can tell you this, this game's going to be won or lost in the trenches. Most of them are, but this one even more so, especially considering how Stanford's offensive line struggled mightily, particularly in run blocking against the UCLA Bruins. And run blocking has been below the line throughout the entire season. We've, we've discussed this at length and maybe even pushing ad nauseum. Already this season on the tree cast. But offensive line certainly has a lot of work to do against a difficult Oregon defense. Don't just, you know, cave on Thibodeau. Yeah, he gets top billing, but but man, this whole defensive unit is quick and active and can be super disruptive up front. David Shaw with his points of emphasis for the offensive line this week against the Ducks. It's pre-snap and post-snap movement, you know, stemming and moving and being able to handle those guys as they try to go from one gap to another either before the snap or after the snap. Um, you know, when we handled that, hey, we ran it well and we threw it well because um, we protect the quarterback. So that's going to be a paramount um, for our guys up front this week. Um, I think our, our game plan is, is going to be pretty straightforward. Um, and, uh, you know, sad we're going to miss Branson Bragg, but, but Jake Hornibook's been playing all year, played in every single game. We rotated him in. We think of him as a starter. Um, so now he's just going to be able to go in there and start the full game, play, play the full game at right guard. So, but, but that's the challenge. The challenge is to know that it's not just Kayvon. It's the rest of those guys. They're pretty good. Um, they're good at what they do. They're physical. They're big. Um, they're athletic. Um, but so are we. We just have to be exact. Yeah, and, and Jake Hornerbrook is, is is no stranger to playing football at this level, right? I mean, he's, he's certainly played throughout much of, of the 2019 season, saw him throughout 2020 as well. So, look, would you rather have your nastiest guy on the field? Yes, you would. But Jake Hornerbrook has been able to show things throughout his career, and he will be counted on very heavily to try to take the Stanford running game to a gear that it really, quite honestly, hasn't reached so far this season. So this game's going to be won or lost in the trenches. There's no doubt about that. And Stanford's also going to be looking to get into an early rhythm, something it was not able to do against the Bruins. 
and stay in a rhythm for full 60 minutes because that's probably what's going to take. Stanford unable to play a full 60 minutes offensively, certainly, against the, the Vanderbilt Commodores. But getting in a rhythm and staying in a rhythm are, are going to be crucial to the Cardinals' efforts. And really on, on both sides, and really if you want to count special teams as well, because they did give up a 59-yard punt return to set up UCLA's uh, first touchdown last week. So all three phases of the game will be well served by getting in rhythm and staying in rhythm. And, and by the way, that rhythm should not be three and out. <laughs> the Stanford offense. Uh, that, that, was, that was their rhythm, the first five drives against UCLA last week. And how versatile can the Stanford offense be this week? We've talked about this without E.J. Smith, the guy who, who's been able to line up anywhere on the field. And, and, and maybe this solves itself a little bit if Casey Filkins is able to play on Saturday because Filkins can certainly – uh, probably do a lot of the things that that EJ Smith can do from various points on the field wherever he lines up. But how variable can the Stanford offense be? How many different looks can the Stanford offense give the Oregon Ducks? How unpredictable can the Cardinal offense be? I think those are going to be major, major, major keys for Stanford against Oregon this week. Cardinal versus the Ducks, always fun. Can't wait until Saturday. I'm, I always look forward to getting your thoughts on the show, on the program, on anything else that's on your mind. Hit me up via the hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. That's the best way to ensure that I see what you've got on your mind about Stanford football and the TreeCast in particular. And again, subscribe to the show. Uh, we're available via all of your favorite listening apps, um, and once you're there, subscribe to it, rate the show, review the show, tell people, tell everyone you know about the TreeCast. Happy with how things have trended throughout the course of the season. I think folks are excited about Stanford football. Uh, that's certainly been reflected in my download numbers so far this season. So that's that's really cool and really awesome. And I thank you for that. And let's make sure that this keeps going and keeps trending in that direction uh, throughout the remainder of the season. So we will see you in all likelihood on Monday. I have Pac-12 Network Volleyball on Sunday. And usually we bring these, uh, uh, we bring the review shows to you during the regular season uh, on Sundays. So we'll probably aim for Monday this week. Don't be surprised. Maybe I'll get to it by, by Sunday evening. Who knows? But in the meantime, uh, we'll get you, we'll talk to you again uh, by Monday morning at the very latest. Looking forward to that, and hopefully we're talking about good things, and hopefully we're discussing Stanford's chances of going down to Arizona State on a short week after a win over the Oregon Ducks. Big time thanks to our special guests, Dalen Wade Perry, Cardinal Nose Tackle, and Tank Williams, one of the all-time Stanford greats. You also heard from Cardinal head coach David Shaw, Stanford inside linebacker Lavani Damuni, and Stanford tight end and defensive end Tucker Fisk. Biggest thanks, of course, goes out to you for joining us on the show. As always, don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. And a reminder, you can't back the pack if you don't back the vac. 
get that vaccine. Let's all get through this. And we'll see you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network.